The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Kelly and uh, Yingying for leading us in worship. Uh, my name is Andy. I am one of the uh, covenant partners here at Gospel City Church, and I am uh, excited to be with you all this morning as we continue through our series of But God. I'm, I'm a bit taller than Kelly, so let me get this situated just a bit. Well, I hope you all uh, had a good uh, New Year's, and uh, we're glad that you are back with us this morning. So whether you are uh, on Zoom because you balik kampung or you are with us this morning, we are glad to have you with us. So we're continuing our series through the second half of Genesis, and we are in the story of Jacob again this morning, and we have uh, a few more just really bizarre and interesting and uh, events in the life of Jacob, and so I'm excited for us to be able to get into those this morning. So if you would uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis 32 and 33, we're going to go ahead and read um, both chapters. It's about 50 verses, but uh, it's really interesting, and so I uh, think you all will uh, enjoy this reading from the scripture, and then we will uh, dig into the text. So here we go, Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in his sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said to God, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother." From the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and ten bulls, twenty female donkeys, and ten male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants. Every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When, when Esau my brother meets you, and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? you sh then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. 
They are a present sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me. And afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He then he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, who were, he said, who are these with you? Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, and they and their children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that uh, is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way. I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servants, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and see her. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of my people, some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. 
So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padam Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the land on which he pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we can read it this morning. Lord, that we can gain wisdom from it this morning. Lord, I thank you that your word is powerful and speaks to us. Lord, I thank you, and Lord, we know that your word uh, was preserved to give us hope and encouragement and instruction. So Lord, I pray this morning uh, that these would not just be words from uh, long ago, Lord, but that they would impact our hearts. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we come to another interesting story in the life of Jacob. There seems to be a lot of uh, moving uh, parts uh, but just as a reminder, before we dig in, there, there's really three main characters that we're looking at this morning. We have Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver, the cheater. We, we know Jacob by now. We've seen him as he uh, struggled with Esau, and he got the blessing from his father. We saw him with just the whole mess with Laban and Leah and Rachel and all of them last week. We kind of get what Jacob is about. And so he's our first character this morning, Jacob, the trickster. Then we have Esau, the angry brother, and it's been a few weeks since we heard about Esau, but if any of you forgot, the, really the last time we saw Esau, he said he was ready to kill Jacob. So we have Esau, the angry brother, in Genesis 27, verse 41, he said, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my older brother. So we've got Jacob, the trickster, and we have Esau, the angry brother, and then we have God the promise keeper. Nick preached a few weeks ago from Genesis 28, and he read of the promises that God gave to Jacob in a dream. And so these are the three kind of people, the three characters that we have interacting this morning. We have Jacob, the trickster. We have Esau, the angry brother, and we have God, the promise keeper. And we're going to see some interesting interactions and see how all of this comes to fruition in the end. And the immediate backdrop of this is just where Chris left off last week. They have left Laban, and there's kind of this collective sigh of relief as they're gone from Laban, but then there's Esau, the angry brother, the one who wants to kill him. At least he did 20 years ago. And so that's what we're coming to this morning. And we're going to see four main points in the text. We see a fearful plan, a faithful prayer, a life-changing encounter, and a sovereign deliverance. So we start off in verses, in 32, verses 1 through 8, and we see a fearful plan. Right as Jacob leaves Laban, and he thinks that he is gone, he's getting to go back to the promised land, and all will be okay, Esau stands in his way. And remember, 20 years ago, the last thing he knew of Esau, the reason he left to go be with Laban in the first place, was because Esau wanted to kill him. And so when he gets near to Edom, when he gets near to Esau, he sends some messengers ahead. Said, all right, you guys, you go check on Esau, see what's up. Tell him I'm coming. Tell him that 
you know, I want to, I want to uh, appease him, tell him that I want to find favor in his eyes. And so the messengers go, and they report back to Jacob. They said, we saw uh, Esau, and he has 400 men with him. And if you're Jacob, that's probably fearful, because you don't know why these 400 men are with Esau, but all you know is 20 years ago, he wanted to kill you. And so in Jacob, near it's his mind, he's wondering, you know, was the last 20 years, 365 days a year, was Esau scribbling out plans of how to, how to perfectly kill Jacob? Is he still holding this grudge and this vendetta? And now he's got 400 people coming at me, coming at my family. And so what does he do? He's fearful and he makes a plan. And that's kind of what we know of Jacob, right? That's his, his MO, that's his operating way. When something comes upon him, or even when something doesn't, he makes a plan. He's a schemer. He is a deceiver. This is what we know of Jacob to do. So he makes a fearful plan. It was his, it was his MO. It's what he did, and it's what he was known for. It's this habitual pattern that he does. He makes a plan, and his plan is, all right, well, if Esau comes, if he has 400 men with him, I'm going to split my camp. I've got my kids, I've got my wives, I've got the two servants, and I've got all of this livestock. So if Esau is going to come, I better just split my camp into two. That way, if Esau comes, yeah, he might get one camp, but the other will get away. It's not a great plan, uh, but it's the plan that he made. And so he makes this fearful plan. And I think one thing to note is that the fear here is healthy. I think it's, it, it's an okay fear because the last thing he knew, the reason that he fled from, uh, from, from Rebekah and from Isaac in the first place is because Esau wanted to kill him. And now Esau's got 400 guys with him and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And so he's making this plan uh, out of fear, but it's a legitimate fear. He doesn't know what is going to come, what's going to meet him on the other side of Esau and these 400 men. And so this is a fear-based plan, but I think it's a fear that is natural. It's a fear that is realistic because there was a real threat upon his life. But one thing that we do see is that the fear it kind of reveals who we are. It reveals who Jacob is. It revealed that he was a planner. He was someone that wanted control. He was someone that when something came in his way, he wanted to grab control. He wanted to make this fear. Here, he wanted to make a plan. It kind of revealed his operating system. It revealed who he was. Fear causes us to operate out of our, our MO, out of our operating system. It reveals our true colors and shows us who we are. And when the fear of being met with Esau came, it revealed who Jacob was. He was a planner. But through this text and through the story of Jacob, we see that God is beginning to change him. God's beginning to mold his operating system, so to speak. And God is beginning to change him. And in this fear, and we see there's multiple points of fear in the text, and it kind of serves as a scale of sorts or a barometer for us to know where is Jacob's heart, where is his operating system, what is pulling him. Is it his desire for control, to scheme, to plan, or is it a heart that is serving God? So as we go through the text, we will see these different interactions 
uh, with Jacob in fear. But that, that's our first point this morning. It's a, it's a fearful plan, and that's how we start. And that's where we see Jacob kind of continuing in the normal routine of what we know of Jacob to do and what we know of Jacob to be. But he quickly changes. Though there was fear, and it was his initial response, in verse 9, it changes to something that doesn't seem very, that doesn't seem very much like Jacob. Verse 9 reads, Then Jacob prayed. That's how it started. It said, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. In the prayer, Jacob acknowledges powerfully both who God is in verse 9, what we just read, and who Jacob is in light of who God is in verse 10. He acknowledges that God is the God of his fathers, is his father's father. And then, in light of that, he recognizes who he is. In verse 10, he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have become two camps. In verse 10, we see the growth and the change which has already been brought about in the life of Jacob. Jacob had grown a lot as he acknowledges God. He acknowledges God is the promise keeper, the one in verse 9 when he says, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. And Jacob also acknowledges that all he had was from God. Because when he crossed the Jordan, all he had was his staff. All he had was a walking stick. And now he had wives, he had children, he had all this livestock that, you know, it seems kind of, Weird in the text, but it's showing that God had provided all of these things to Jacob. And Jacob recognizes this. And so even here, we're getting to see Jacob is changing the way that he is reacting to these situations. He's beginning to pray, and he's beginning to show who he is in light of God. And then he shares and confesses his fears to God. And he recounts the promises of God. He says, save me. I pray from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And in this we see a marvelous picture of how Jacob is recounting the promises of God. He's recounting the words of God and inserting this truth into his heart. He's recounting how we can pray and go to God in times of need, and we can be encouraged through the Word of God as we are praying to God. And even in this you know, few-verse prayer, we see that Jacob acknowledges who God is and acknowledges his position in light of that. He confesses his sin, and then he recounts and remembers the promises of God. And if Jacob was available for repentance prayer next week, I think we could invite him up here and go through this prayer. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. Because uh, th this is what we want to see. We want to see acknowledgement of God, confession of sin, and then reminding and remembering the promises of God. He's preaching the truths of God's promises to himself. And I think as we see Jacob's prayer, a natural question for us to ask is, where does prayer rank 
in your list of reactions. When fearful situations come, when moments of doubt or uncertainty come, is prayer the first thing that we run to, or is it, is it planning? Is it trying to take control of the situation? Are you prepared to pray and to confess the fear and the weakness and preach the gospel to your own heart when these moments of doubt, these moments of fear come in? And so I think another question to ask ourselves, for me to ask myself is, what does prayer look like for you and for me? Does prayer look like uh, listening to the repentance prayer on Sunday? Does it look like maybe praying uh, before meals? These are good things, but is that the only way that we're praying? Is that the only way we're communing with God throughout the week? I think as we reflect on the grandeur of God, as Jacob did, as we reflect on the fact that he is the promise-keeping God, the covenant-keeping God, do do we rightfully acknowledge the access that we have to God in prayer? Does your prayer life, does my prayer life reflect the fact that at any moment we can go to the Lord in prayer? We can pray without ceasing. We have access to the throne room of God through prayer. In prayer, we are able to bring our hearts to God. We're able to say, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I made a plan. It's what I do. I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the planner. I made this plan, but God, I'm afraid. And that's why I made the plan. But I want to trust you. And we can go to God and ask for help. Ask for reassurance. And then insert the biblical truth of God's promises in that. Through this prayer, we start to see Jacob changing. We start to see his operating system changing. We start to see the way he reacts to fear and doubt changing as he begins to rely on God more and more. The acknowledgement of who God is, the acknowledgement of even all he has is from God, and we're beginning to see him changing. You know, the, the, the story continues after the prayer, and Jacob continues to work out his plan, and even though uh, he, now he has prayed to God, he continues to work the plan, but, but we've seen his faithfulness in praying a faithful prayer to God. And so we've seen a fearful plan, a faithful prayer, and now we come to this bizarre and remarkable and probably quite familiar story of Jacob wrestling with God. And this is our third point this morning, and we'll we'll probably spend a bit more time camped out here just because there's so much going on. And it's it's pretty awesome. Um, As we were talking in the preacher's chat this week, I was I didn't really know what to do with this. (laughs) I kind of asked guys, I was like, how much time did I need to spend on this? And they're like, I mean, this is is where he gets the name Israel. This is pretty important. So we're going to spend some time pressing into this. And uh, this is our third point, and it is a life-changing encounter. Let me read this again, verses 22 through 32, reading from the NIV, maybe give us some little different nuances as we read. So that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his female servants and eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. 
After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man said, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he, will, then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was scared. The sun spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. I mean, this is an amazing story, and I know we've all probably heard it before, but imagine this is the first time you're hearing of God coming and wrestling Jacob. Imagine that you are a little child on the plains listening as you're about to cross into the promised land, hearing this story for this first time. Like, that'd be amazing. Like, what do you mean someone came down and wrestled with him all night? Moses just slips all these little details in and like, you know, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Like, that's a, lot, that's a lot of wrestling. I don't know if you guys have watched a wrestling match. They're normally pretty quick because, I mean, that's heavy, like, hand-to-hand, flesh-to-flesh combat, and they normally end pretty quick because you get tired. And Moses just easily slips in, yeah, man wrestled with him till daybreak. Like, we're not going to have any more questions about that. Like, that's a, that's a big statement. Um, and I think before we go any further, um, I do just want to give a, a, a quick uh, disclaimer. If you studied uh, Job with Yekin and I, uh, you're probably familiar with this disclaimer. But th- there's some stuff uh, about this marvelous and miraculous story that this side of eternity, uh, we're probably not going to grasp. I don't understand how the man at the same time could not overpower Jacob, but could like touch him in the hip socket and wrench his hip out of place. Um, but that's okay. And when we get to heaven, maybe we'll ask God, maybe we'll just join the choir of angels. I don't know. We're not going to get into that today. Um, but there's, there's a lot going on in this marvelous and miraculous story, and we can learn uh, from this. So as we get into this, we see that there's this man, and he's most likely the angel of the Lord. And they wrestle all night, and somehow through Jacob's scrappiness, his determination, whatever it is, uh, he's able to fend off this person. But the man, like we said, is powerful. All he does is just kind of hit the hip socket, and all of a sudden he's out of place, and Jacob's limping. Jacob was physically wounded and prominently permanently changed as a result of this encounter. We see later on in the text in verse 31, he's limping because of this. So this wasn't just like a tiny pinch of the skin. This wasn't just, you know, tripping. This was, I mean, the, the, the hip was out of socket. I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds painful. There's a lot of weight that comes into the hips. So, I mean, that's a, it's a big injury. And Jacob, after this happens, you know, true to form, what does Jacob ask for? says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. 
Jacob's about the blessing. He wants the blessing. He's still chasing the blessing even here. And by that, we see another powerful acknowledgement of Jacob realizing who he is in light of God. The stronger is always the one that blesses the weaker. It's you know the father that blesses the son. It is the powerful that blesses the weaker. And so Jacob asking for the blessing here shows another understanding of who he is in light of God. And then we come to the, the amazing name change in verse 28. Jacob, the trickster, the schemer, the deceiver, he's lived up to his name to this point, and then he gets a new name. Israel, striven with God and with man, and have overcome. Once he was a trickster, cheater, schemer, but now he's striven with God and with man and overcome. And remember the significance of another name change that we saw in Genesis. This is not the first name change that we've seen from this family, this promise line in Genesis. One author wrote, As with his grandfather Abraham, the change of Jacob's name signifies a change of character due to his relationship with God. Jacob was no longer the cheater. Now he had become the one who had striven with God. This name is significant. You know, because from here we get the name for the nation Israel. The rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Hebrew Bible is chasing the lineage of the nation of Israel. And it all begins here. In the imagery, like we talked about a bit ago, of the wrestling match is also really important, thinking about Jacob the deceiver. People that cheat, people that deceive, people that lie, they hide behind facades. They try to protect themselves, hide themselves, distance themselves from the one that they are deceiving, the one that they are wrestling with. But when you are in a wrestling match, there's nowhere to go. I mean, a physical, like a, a wrestling match today, there's a ring, there's like a little circle, um, or, you know, WWE, you've got the ropes that people can, you know, jump off onto, but th- th- there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to hide. You're just there one-on-one. And so Jacob here enters this wrestling match with God, and there was nowhere for him to go, and he was impacted. He was met by God here. And it really shows the heart and the character of God, that he would come and wrestle Jacob, that he would come and lower himself to engage in this wrestling match. One author labeled this as a display of severe mercy, a display of severe mercy by hitting his hip, popping it out of socket, He's limping probably for the rest of his life. But because of that, he realizes who he is in light of God. And there he receives the blessing. He receives the name Israel, displaying his relationship with God. And that's what some of us need sometimes, isn't it? We need those moments of severe mercy. Maybe it's not God physically hitting us in the hip, 
But sometimes, some of us are stubborn. Myself, I know I need at times these moments of severe mercy where God prunes, where God takes away, where God brings us to where the only thing we have to rely on is himself. This wound was probably painful that Jacob uh, received, but because of it, he was able to be in a place where he received the blessing. And thinking of the significance of Israel and the nation and the name, uh, one author, someone wrote that, you know, the story of Jacob wrestling with God is really a, a prophetic parable about the rest of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We see both of them were exiled away to the east, Jacob fleeing from Esau, Israel multiple times in exile um, from other nations. Both of them received severe mercy. Jacob from the hit in the hip, Israel from the exile. But each time God brought them through this severe mercy and Jacob came out the other side, changed, and a faithful remnant of Israel came out the other side of the exiles. They returned to the promised land. And from that faithful remnant, the, the ultimate Israel, the ultimate Messiah, the one on the promised line was to come. So we see a life-changing encounter here. And it really is remarkable. Um, and I've gotten to spend time reading it and rereading it, and it, it, it's still amazing. And as we come to the end of it, we see Jacob acknowledging who this person is that he wrestled with. In the text we read, it's, you know, this man wrestled with him. But in verse 30, Jacob names the place Peniel. He names it because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. There was no doubt in Jacob's mind who he had just engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat with. This was God who wrestled with him, who wounded him, who blessed him, and gave him the name Israel. So, so far we've seen in this text a fearful plan. As Jacob left Laban and you know, thought he was out of the woods, but there was Esau, and Esau had 400 men, and it was pretty scary. And so he planned. It was what he did. Um, but we see God slowly starting to change him as he comes to a point where he realizes who he is in light of who God is, and he prays, and he confesses. He says, God, help me, spare me. And then we saw this amazing encounter which God would, which wounds him and changes him. It marks him forever. So now we come to our fourth point, and it's a sovereign deliverance. You know, Jacob is evidently changed as we turn to chapter 33. And the whole of 33, it just seems different than chapter 32. The interactions with Esau seem different. They seem changed. It seems like there's a new upbeat demeanor to this Jacob. You know, right after he leaves Peniel, it says he looks up and there's Esau. And there's the 400 men and they're coming. So he divides the children, Leah, Rachel, the two female servants. He kind of stacks them, uh, the female servants and their children, then Leah and then Rachel. And at this point, you're like, oh man, 
It's, it's the same Jacob. He's, you know, he's staggering the children seemingly by the ones he likes best with the wife he likes best. You're like, dude, you just wrestled with God. Like, didn't you learn anything? And then in verse 3, we see him evidently demonstrating change. He himself went ahead. So he went ahead of the family. He went ahead of the servants. And he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. And just to gain a sense of how, how amazing this deliverance is, I'm going to read to us Genesis 27:41. So before we see how Esau and Jacob interact, I know we just read it a few moments ago, but remember the last thing that we knew of Esau and Jacob 20 years ago. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, These days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so even though he's just wrestled with God, even though he's prayed to God, I mean, if I'm Jacob, that's, that's repeating like a chorus in my mind. At the same time, you're trying to remember the, the promises of God in Genesis 28, that God is going to bring him peaceably to the promised land. But at the other side, you're like, oh man, this dude wants to kill me. And he's angry with me. And he's got 400 men. And I've got a bunch of cows and camels. That's not really a good fight. So he remembers the promises of God. He wrestled with God and prevailed. But Esau was angry. And so you've got to imagine that there's these wrestles between fear and doubt and trust and hope as he is coming to interact with Esau. And the exchange, what happens, is just amazing. Uh, you, can't, you, 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 can, you really can't make this stuff up. This is just amazing, this story. Verse 4, But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. So 20 years ago, all he knows of his brother is that this man wants to kill me. And what a dramatic difference in the face of Esau and their interactions from chapter 27 to chapter 33. And Jacob is delivered. There's no need to fear. They were reunited. They wept. They embraced. And the rest of the chapter really is quite cordial and friendly and Esau meets the kids and the family and you know it just kind of seems like a, a family reunion a reunion dinner they're just catching up they're like oh who's that why'd you bring them they're like oh well this is this is my kid these are my wives he's like oh lots changed in the last 20 years in the chapter and in, in we we realize that you know these 400 men that were with him they were actually just people that Esau brought to help Jacob get all of the flocks and everything back to Seir. And so there really was no need to fear. God kept his promise from Genesis 28 that God would give Jacob descendants, that God would give Jacob a family and then bring them back to the promised land. And he made it through Laban and now through Esau. And the chapter ends in verses 18 through 20 with 
land, which is very important to the promise as we've seen, and with worship. He arrives in the capital area. He arrives in the city of Shechem, and he buys land, a plot of ground where he pitched his tent, and there he made an altar called El Elohe Israel. In 28, God promised that he would give Jacob offspring and bring him back safely to the land. And we see those being fulfilled here in chapters 32 and 33. Jacob's made into a large family already and is brought safely into the land, which is promised to him and to his offspring. He's, he's, he's not back to, to Bethel yet, which is where he was in chapter 28, but he's, he's in Canaan. He's in the promised land, and, and he, he made it through Esau. Like the promised line is going to continue, and we're going to get to continue seeing what happens through Jacob and his line as we go throughout Genesis. So the question now we ask this week, as we ask most weeks, is well, what, what does this mean for us today? We've seen the significance for Jacob. God is changing him both physically and symbolically with his name, Jacob Israel. It's being changed into a person that God can lead into the promised land. So what about us? How are we changed for God's purposes and God's plans? Are we meant to wrestle with God? I, I'd say, yeah. Uh, maybe not physically wrestling with God, uh, not literally, but there are ways that we can put ourselves in the path of the power of God. Through the grace of the spiritual disciplines, such as prayer, reading the Bible, fasting, worship, we can put ourselves in places where we're likely to be changed and impacted by the power of God. We practice these spiritual disciplines as a way to become changed by God, by His Word, by His power. You know, we can read the Bible, we can come to church, we can come to prayer with a hard heart, not looking to be changed, and it'll probably be safe. You're not going to get impacted by this severe mercy if you're being closed off, if you're coming with a hard heart. But if you come to the text, if you come to the Scriptures, if you come to the Lord in prayer, in confession, and say, God, this, this is all of me, then there might be moments where God takes away things that used to be of meaning, that used to be of value, as He conforms you in Christ-likeness and conforms you into His image. I mean, we know that the Lord, the, the, the Word of the Lord, it, it's powerful. It's like a sword that can pierce through the heart. And so if we come to it with a heart that is longing to be changed into the image of God, then we need to be ready to be changed into the image of God. We need to prepare ourselves because it may leave us changed, and we hope it does leave us changed and conformed in Christ-likeness. Our spiritual disciplines should not be academic. They should not be dry, but they should be born out of hearts that long to be changed by God and molded as His people. 
And as Jacob, we should long to receive the gift of God's blessing. As we come to a close, uh, one author summarized the interaction of Jacob wrestling with God just really well, and I think it'll be helpful as we look at how to apply it to our own life. said, God does not abandon Jacob. Instead, God commits himself even more to Jacob by visiting him in person to wrestle it all out. God wounds Jacob in that struggle, and it's precisely that wound that helps Jacob to finally receive God's blessing as a gift. It's a gift he could never acquire by himself, no matter how hard he tries. Church, Jacob wrestled to receive the blessing, but he could never earn it on his own. And this morning, we can have the blessing of God because the ultimate Israel, the ultimate descendant of Jacob, the fulfillment of these promises because he took on flesh. He went toe-to-toe with God and for our sake was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. On the cross, Christ took the wound for us. He took the full wrath of God that we deserved so that we can have the blessing of a relationship with God. This means that our sin, it was placed on Christ. What we earned with our sin, what we deserved with our sin, was death in the wrath of God. And Christ took it, and in our place he gave us his righteousness, and gave us a secure relationship with God, one that we could never earn. And from this secured relationship, we can practice these spiritual disciplines. We can read the Bible. We can pray. We can worship God. Not because we're trying to earn salvation. Not because we're trying to earn God's blessing. But we seek to grow in Christ-likeness as he continues through this life, to change us and mold us in his image. Jacob left Laban fearing what would happen with Esau. Jacob showed faith as he prayed and as he wrestled with God and confessed to God. God pursued him with severe mercy, wounding him, changing him into the one who could be brought into the promised land, into one who was in a right relationship with God. God delivered Jacob from Esau, as told in the promise of Genesis 28. And ultimately, for your sake and for my sake, the perfect Christ, the Messiah, was killed. He took on flesh, sin, and its deadly punishment. And we get to receive the blessing of life in a relationship with God. This relationship is secure, but through spiritual disciplines, we are able to place ourselves in the wake of God's sometimes severe mercy as we are formed and molded into Christ-likeness. And so, church, to the measure that we are able to realize that our salvation is secure, when we see our salvation is secure and purchased by Christ, and there's nothing we can do to earn it, 
then to that measure we can have the joy of placing ourselves in the wake of God's power and God's mercy through the spiritual disciplines, knowing that he is changing you and he's changing me and making us, molding us in Christ's image. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you spared and preserved Jacob. Lord, we praise you for that work. Lord, we thank you that from Jacob through many generations ultimately came Christ, that we can have life abundantly with you through him. God, I pray that you would help us as a faith family, as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage one another to grow in Christ-likeness and to encourage one another. Lord, as you mold us and as you change us, Lord, for your sake and for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.